You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. Welcome. Uh, hope wherever you are, uh, it's uh, not as cold as it here in Iowa. We're in the middle of the polar vortex, so of course we're... Uh, reaching you know absolute zero outside it seems like so uh but hopefully wherever you are it's a little warmer and hopefully you're staying uh, warm and safe so uh, thank you for for uh, joining us for, for this week's game changers as always please if you're a new listener head on over to uh to where you get your uh, podcast give that like uh yeah, subscribe please and uh sure be sure and tell your friends and family about game changers we uh, are actually growing pretty good here and i'm very pleased by that and uh, a lot of different healthcare professionals listening so i'm um, welcome to all of you also, as always, want to give a shout out to our producer, CE Impact. Um, so if you're a pharmacist right now, and hopefully in the future, other healthcare professionals, if you're a pharmacist, head on over to the to ceimpact.com. They have numerous terrific uh, um, um, uh, continuing education programs, including if you, a, a, a relatively inexpensive way to sign for getting CE for list, listening to me, me yammer for 20 minutes every week. You do that, you get yourself a half an hour of CE. I don't think you can come up with anything easier to get. So uh, head on over and check that out or check out some of the uh, other great programs that we've got going on. So today we are going to be talking about, uh, again, trying in our, in our, in our never-ending attempt to not talk about COVID, we're going to talk about cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. And, and the reason I, I uh, thought about this, I was telling uh, my, 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 uh, partner Jake that that the reason I was kind of uh, uh, thinking about this is we actually had a patient admitted to this uh, admitted with cannabis hyperemesis syndrome uh, to my medicine service last week and I just hadn't seen that in a while um, and and it struck me that um, as we see more and more states uh, legalizing either recreational or medicinal marijuana um, or CBD or anything along those lines my guess is we're probably going to see an increase in this and it's it's not a life-threatening syndrome or anything like that but it it, it, it definitely can take a toll on on quality of life and it can be expensive because these people um, definitely can be admitted to the hospital because they're dehydrated because they can't keep anything down so um, hence the reason this patient was admitted to my service so uh, yeah so I thought that this would be not a bad a bad time to talk about cannabis hyperemesis syndrome um, for those of you who aren't aware you know so there's a number of of, of, of you know so-called hyperemesis syndromes like uh, the cyclic vomiting syndrome and for pregnant women hyperemesis gravidarum that basically is just you know terrible and 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 cyclical nausea and vomiting and that gets uh common to the point where anticipatory nausea becomes really common as well. And that in and of itself is enough to make people uh, give the sensation of nausea and having people vomit. And so um, it, it uh, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome is one of these, you know, functional syndromes that, that leads to this kind of cyclic level of severe uh, nausea and vomiting uh, that, as I said, can really interfere with, with somebody's quality of life. And again, bad enough that, that they can get dehydrated enough that we will see people in the hospital. And the first time I saw this, this is, it was it's probably been now 10 or 12 years since the first time I saw a case of this and and it it when I heard I'd never heard of it and, and and I was like well hold it isn't doesn't cannabis act as an anti-emetic how can it make people throw up as it act as an anti-emetic and and doing some research of course the answer to that question is is complex because cannabis is complex you know the 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 kind of cannabinoid system is is throughout your body there it does multiple multiple things throughout the body and and particularly in the GI system 
where it, it can increase secretions, it can increase uh, uh, motility, and so it makes people, it, it, it can sometimes cause diarrhea or, or help can kind of move through the GI tract. And of course, if anyone's ever watched a Cheech and Chong movie, we know that it, that it gives you the munchies and causes appetite stimulation, right? So, so you know, I, we've always known that 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 the the kind of cannabinoid system, even before we knew what what that was, had multiple complex effects in, in the GI tract. And um, the, the the problem, of course, in in studying anything along those lines has always been multiple fold. One, uh, you know, cannabis is not a, a pure uh, agent when, especially when when smoked um, or 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 you know, just given cannabis sativa, it's not a pure agent, and there's multiple types of 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 different types of of chemical agents in there, and the potency is different from batch to batch and stuff like that. So that's always made it, you know, challenging to do any sort of studies with this, and not only for this, but for for the therapeutic reasons we're looking at, at using things like CBD oil. Um, so that's one reason, and of course the other has always been uh, the fact that it's a Schedule One agent, and and so it's always been uh, for investigators very very challenging to 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 get through the paperwork needed to try and do studies along these lines. So like so many things with with cannabis and CBD and stuff like that, we just don't have a lot of information about 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 the the side effects or long term issues associated with it. But you know, even when I had first come out of school, gernabinol uh, 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 had come out as 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 kind of a, a cannabinoid uh, a receptor agonist that was that played an important role in nausea and vomiting. And, and I remember was was FDA approved for nausea and vomiting in chemotherapy patients and in uh, uh, stage HIV patients. And so again, it definitely has an it has an antimanic activity. The uh, a, a kind of cannabinoid system actually has an important neuromodulator, um, and and it particularly seems to be effective when people have nausea and vomiting that has that has, occurs during a stress response. So after they've gotten chemotherapy, so that makes sense. Uh, migraine induced uh, nausea, and those of you who get bad migraines know that that nausea and vomiting can definitely be a part of that, as well as motion sickness. And the, the reason why is those three you know any, uh, types or any sort of stress phenomenon associated with nausea and vomiting is is particularly dominated by brainstem nuclei and the vagus nerve. And we know that the echinocannabinoid system provides negative feedback on that. And so it decreases uh, the effects of the stress that, that increase uh, stimulation of the vagus nerve and um, um, uh, uh, th that blocks that because the increased activity of the vagus nerve produces that feeling of nausea and then, and then emesis that occurs. And so we know that, that at, at low doses, um, uh, you know, it, the echinocannabinoid system can block that. However, in higher doses, the doses that tend to cause intoxication, that can sometimes result in paradoxical pro-emetic characteristics. And uh, the reason it's cyclical is because, as we all probably know, THC in particular is stored in fat cells in the body. And so what happens is, 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 is anything that causes sympathetic nervous system st stimulation, so again, that stress response like migraine or, or, or anything along those lines, is going to increase lipolysis to meet body demands of of the stress, right? So I mean, flight or flight, and the body releases more um, um, uh, energy via glucose, and that's going to release energy via the the adipite, uh, uh, adipose cells, and of course, in those adipose cells is THC. So when that happens, um, that releases THC that's being stored in the fat into uh, it's in the body, and can lead to emesis, and that probably explains the the pro pro medic and cyclic activity associated with it. So um, um, basically, at lower doses. Of 
uh, the, the echinocannabinoids can act as 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 an as an anti nausea agent, but at a higher dose, is that overwhelms this this blockade of, of the vagus nerve that leads to emesis and can and and can 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 lead to to, to actually a paradoxal increase in emesis and in a cyclic range. So when when stress occurs, the release of THC from the from the fat cells that actually leads to 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 the feeling of nausea and vomiting. So that's kind of the the background. And again, you know, like so many things having to do with the echinocannabinoid system, we just don't understand it very well. Um, and 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 we need de desperately more more good research on this. And I'm I'm hopeful that as the years go by, we're going to get more you know more research on on exactly you know what do these chemicals do in the body, and and what can you know how can we you know appropriately use them to treat different pharmacologic uh, or therapeutic uh, targets without having the the side effects associated with it and things along those lines. So. Um, how do you know somebody has cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome? Well, the, you know, so there are many things I said that can cause the kind of cyclic vomiting that they get into this, you know, this, this wave of vomiting and then normal then wave of vomiting then normal. And so how we have traditionally diagnosed or how I've seen cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome diagnosed is, is there's actually a pathonomic syndrome, which is that, that they uh, have bad nausea that is released, uh, relieved by hot bathing behavior. So a super hot shower or a super hot bath will actually help relieve the symptoms. And so as soon as we hear that on rounds, that's just kind of the, the you know, it's kind of that pathonomic ding that occurs that you go, oh, okay, well, you've got this, you know, um, because it, it now it, that's, that's always kind of been the classic symptom associated with can, uh, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. But of course, you know, patients don't read the textbooks and there are some overlay and some heterogeneity in, in, in how people, how people present. But on the whole, when, when you hear that, yeah, you know, I've, 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 I've got, you know, I, I have these bouts where every two or three days, I just get terrible nausea and vomiting. I can't keep anything down. And I'm, I'm basically, you know, right by the pot for, for, for hours at a time. And, and, um, I, if I get into a hot shower, that really helps with the symptoms. You really should be thinking about, about cannabis hyperemesis uh, syndrome in, in those patients. So the, the, the syndrome itself has three phases. There's a prodromal phase, the hypermetics phase in recovery. And so the, in patients who've had this multiple times, the prodromal phase is characterized by, by just the develop, they, they start to get that kind of queasy feeling. And we've all probably had that where we're kind of sick to our stomach um, and nausea uh, that, that, that comes along. And then they get that anticipatory fear of vomiting and so that feeds into into the the number of times they 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 vomit because they get anticipatory nausea just like in in some cases chemotherapy patients do where they're so fearful of vomiting that that enough it causes the stress reaction and causes them to vomit so it's it's kind of a kind of a, a vicious circle you get into there and so this prodromal phase is characterized again by that that initial queasy feeling fish visual nausea and then anticipatory uh, vomiting as well then of course you enter the the hyperemetic phase, which is very intense. And I've had patients tell me that, again, they, they, they can barely move away from the bathroom because they're either continually throwing up their dry heaving uh, the whole nine yards. It doesn't take much for these patients. Uh, they can't keep anything down. They can get dehydrated super duper easy. And they're going to end up in the emergency room or they're going to end up in, in the hospital. And then after the symptoms improve, there's a large, uh, slow recovery phase that 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 just uh, eventually are able to get back to their normal eating behaviors until the next, you know, uh, cycle occurs and they develop it. And of course, you know, the other thing we always do in these patients is check a, a urine drug screen if they're not uh, forthcoming about their their cannabis use. But many of these patients, especially even 
2021 or are fairly forthcoming with the fact that they're that they're users of cannabis and in, in my experience and, and I think the, the literature supports these are usually heavy users so these are not this is not the person who you you know smokes a joint once you know every couple of weeks on the weekend or something like that these are usually heavy habitual users of, of, of cannabis or usually daily uh, partakers um, who, who get into trouble and it's and again it's probably because you need that level of of, of, of THC to, to cause the pro-emetic uh, uh, symptoms as well as the buildup in the uh, um, uh, fat cells that leads to this cyclical uh, um, uh, pathway, basically. So um, with everything having to do with, with uh, um, GI stuff, especially functional GI stuff, uh, the Rome 4 criteria is always really the, the criteria you want to go take a look at. And, and the Rome 4 criteria is basically, not really surprising given the name, a European conglomerate of, of experts in gastroenterology who, who basically look over the literature and every so often come up with a, a detailed document about the diagnosis and treatment of a variety of functional GI stuff. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about irritable bowel syndrome. That's the, that, that's something else that the Rome group takes a, takes a look at as well. But the Rome 4 criteria actually has, they have diagnostic criteria for um, uh, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. And they include that, that the patient has to have symptoms for at least three months. Um, um, that, that again, they have kind of that stereotypical uh, episode where they have, you know, the cyclic nausea and that, and that hot uh, uh, showers or hot bathing behavior seems to, seems to relieve it. They need to have at least three episodes in the last year and two episodes in the last six months because that, that, you know, gives you that cycling thing. Um, there is it, between episodes, they're completely normal. So, so again, they're, they're trying to establish the, the cyclical nature of it, that, that yeah, they can have these episodes, but between the episodes, they don't feel nauseated. They don't have nausea from another cause. And that uh, if they stop taking cannabis of their own volition, or, or we encourage them to do so, that the, that the symptoms go away. So those are the required criteria for diagnosis. I'll be honest, in, in, in the times I've seen uh, patients admitted to, to uh, our service with this. We really haven't gone through that. We've just tried to establish really that they're heavy cannabis users, that the hot bathing behavior seems to relieve their symptoms, and that it is basically cyclical in nature over the last three to six months. Um, and, and, and so that, you know, that's, that's what we do, but there is actually official diagnostic criteria from the, from the Rome 4 guidelines. So since most of us are pharmacists and we're listening, you know, you're like, okay, that's terrific. But once I've determined that that's it, how do we treat these patients? And you would think antiemetics would be the way to go. And, and traditionally that's certainly what we're going to throw at these patients. We're going to throw, you know, on Dancitron and Plocorperazine and, and, you know, all the other, you know, antiemetics that we tend to use in acute nausea and vomiting things in the, in the hospital. It's been my experience and I think there's more, and there's literature to back this up, that, that for some reason, traditional uh, anti-emetic agents such as the serotonin drugs and, and, the, and the dopamine drugs don't seem to be quite as effective. And that's been my experience too, that, that you know, uh, we will we'll put these people on around the clock uh, on Dancitron, we'll put them, you know, we'll add on Prochloroperazine and they're still having pretty bad nausea and vomiting through that. And so um, if those don't work, what else can we try? Well, as you might imagine, there's very, very little random randomized control trial data on this one, because it's going to be very difficult to, to recruit patients, right? I mean, this isn't a very common thing. And, and our patients going to be, you know, again, forthcoming with the fact that they're heavy cannabis users. So it's going to be very, very difficult to do randomized control trials. So most of the data
data on this is 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 you know open label stuff you know the, you know either retrospective trials or you know uh, case series things along those lines um, in that that area of, of literature there's been there's been two or three things that have tried benzodiazepines have actually been used uh, uh, and and had at least some success and where you know uh, we've used low dose Ativan or lorazepam a few times in, in these patients one wonders if that benzodiazepines kind of play the exact same role here that they do with with chemotherapy induced nausea and vomiting and that they they prevent anticipatory nausea and so they prevent the development of, of that fear of, of vomiting and leading to the stress response leading to to, to, to nausea and vomiting uh, other things that have been tried include tricyclic antidepressants and that's been used more as as a prophylactic agent so people who don't want to or or, or, or can or, or whatever won't stop the, the heavy cannabis use um, uh, there, there's been uh, uh, some small evidence suggesting that might work it's kind of pro-con how effective it is. Again, the most effective thing to do would be to actually stop uh, uh, ingesting cannabis. But uh, there, there's been a, a few people uh, or a few reports where TCAs may have a role there. Um, there, there has been some. Uh, um, enthusiasm for capsaicin in this in this in this uh, venue and that kind of stands to reason right so you know uh, capsaicin uh, would would trigger some of the same um, um, uh, uh, substance p depletion and and other uh, chemical responses that having a hot shower would right and so um, um, we've tried that a couple of times and our responses have been kind of variable but I know other people uh, uh, people I know who have tried this and had really good results with it so that someone comes in and they're admitted they you know the ondansetron isn't working they'll actually apply capsaicin cream to them and and it'll actually you know it burns obviously but but it actually will will work pretty good to to, to treat the to treat the, the the nausea symptoms and help relieve the nausea and vomiting so i think again it it, it this unlike unlike using capsaicin for pain it, this is not something that takes weeks and weeks to to to, to occur um the the, uh, the uh, when we've seen it work it works within a, within a day or so or day or two of 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 of, of using it um others have, again have, have have, have advocated for capsaicin for this purpose. So people have tried steroids. We do use corticosteroids, and, and I, I'm always I'm always teaching my students that corticosteroids actually are pretty effective anti-emetic agents. Um, you know, we if you talk to any uh, oncology pharmacist or any on, uh, OR pharmacist, they'll tell you they use uh, um, they use dexamethasone all the time for nausea. And so um, I'm we've not done that in 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 in, in my uh, hospital, but but um, I you know there have been a few reports of that. This may be a case where where the where the the very very powerful dopamine drugs like like dropiridol may have a role. Uh, dropiridol, of course, is 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 a butyrophenone um, antiemetic that if you talk to any veteran uh, a surgeon or, or veteran physician who who uh, you know started practicing in the 1980s or early 1990s, they will tell you it was the greatest drug in the world because the, it worked so well for nausea and vomiting. That was my experience too in 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 the 1990s when we did use a lot of it was was that it seemed to work quite well for 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 all types. Of nausea and vomiting. It unfortunately got a black box warning from the FDA because of QT prolongation, and many hospitals uh, have removed it from their formulary. Um, there's been kind of a, a relook at that, and 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 some have argued, and I think convincingly, that dropiridol probably isn't worse for 
for QT prolongation than any of, than a lot of the other agents we routinely use that don't have a black box warning or, or or things along those lines. So there's been I think I think a bit of an effort in the last little while to try and get droperidol back on hospital formularies. We do have it back on our formulary as well, and we do use it appropriately. I think it's reasonable, of course, to to to, to be aware of other drugs that prolong the QT interval in these patients, and and um, uh, uh, you know either monitor their EKG or 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 you know you know do take take some other steps to try and, and minimize the risk of, of torsades in those patients. Uh, we've not seen that here, but again, it, it, there is that warning. I think I think we do have to be cognizant of it, but I don't think I, I think the evidence at this point suggests we don't need to be, be afraid of droperidol at all uh, compared to, to some other drugs. If you're in a place where they don't have droperidol, remember that Haldol is essentially or Haloperidol is essentially a cousin of droperidol and is actually one of the few drugs that it, that that is currently being looked at in a randomized control trial fashion comparing it to ondansetron in patients with uh, cannabis hyper hyperemesis syndrome. So this may be one of the few times we actually get some randomized control trial data with this. So it's currently underway. Again, my personal anecdotal experience is that is that Haldol how works quite well at low doses for a lot of different types of nausea and vomiting. I think that's worth trying. So, you know, I would certainly say that, 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 you know, in the acute phase, you know, someone's in the hospital or in the emergency department, I think it's reasonable to consider, you know, again, as long as their QT isn't super duper long, reasonable to consider on Dancetron. If that doesn't work, then I think quickly going to capsaicin and or uh, um, uh, Haldol certainly makes sense. Um, uh, and then I think, you know, as we get more and more data, I think we'll have a much better idea of how to approach treatment with these patients. And then, uh, you know, if someone just is, no, I'm going to continue to, to smoke high amounts of marijuana, you know, uh, you know, could you consider prophylactic TCA? Uh, again, at low doses that are probably using is probably unlikely to harm patients. But I think I think much more importantly is, is, is we need we need to tell these patients, look, you know, you're obviously having a bad response to this. You know, it, maybe it maybe it, it, it's a better idea to, to mitigate your use, maybe back off on the use since it does seem to be heavy users of cannabis that, that, that tend to have this, maybe backing off on the use is really all that that's required. So, so kind of an interesting um, uh, uh, subject. And again, nothing that again is, is life threatening in people or anything like that. But something that I've seen recently, and I suspect as as we see more use of, of cannabis recreationally and medicinally, we're probably going to see more of this this happen. So we'll be back in a minute to wrap up. But first, a, a, a note from CE Impact. Game Changers discusses clinical guidelines and pharmacotherapy trends that significantly impact practice. Game Changers is produced and accredited by CE Impact and hosted by Dr. Jeff Wall. New episodes are released each week and available for pharmacy continuing education credit to CE Impact subscribers. CE Impact subscription service brings you the CE you need on the topics that matter the most. Check out the link to sign up in the show notes. Use code PODCAST for a Pharmacy Podcast Network discount. So cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, again, not incredibly common, but something you might see if I think this is just one of a million things that has to do with 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 uh, cannabinoid use and CBD use that we need to have answers for. And pharmacists in particular, I think, are going to be in, in a prime area to answer some of these questions and 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 really provide some, some good information for patients and for providers. Uh, to that end, I know that CE Impact is is uh, working uh, to develop a basically a, a CBD academy or you know, to basically an in-depth, intense way to learn about this. 
learn what the, the issues are, learn what the studies suggest. And, and really, I think, you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to be working with these patients, I know more and more pharmacists are working in dispensaries, you know, that, that I think would be a, re, a real reasonable thing to take a look at once it is out and, and, and deployed and take a look at, at its use to, to really increase your knowledge of this. So, you know, so that does it for this week of, uh, of Game Changers. Next week, now who knows, we'll probably do something COVID because that's the way things go. Again, thanks for listening. Head on over and, 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 and like uh, our, our podcast. Please subscribe and let everybody know about it. We will catch you next week. But remember, until then, uh, um, time's flying. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. See you next week.